Good morning and welcome into my living room again. Uh, this is week three of doing online services. And again, I look forward to the day when we are able to meet again at our uh, in our church building. But in the meantime, we're making the best of it and I'm praying that God would use this somehow for his glory. In fact, I know he will. But I'm so thankful for all of you I look forward to seeing you all again. I'm thankful for those of you that are praying so diligently for our church and even for me personally. Thank you so much. Thank you this morning to Stephen and Renee and Colson and Jean for being a part of our church service. And my prayer is that God would continue to move among us and bless us during this time. It is a difficult time and it seems like things continue to get worse. In fact, just according to statistics, this was our worst week yet. Now over 100,000 people in the United States have been diagnosed with coronavirus and over 1,700 have died from the disease in this country alone. And the numbers globally are much, much larger. And so may we continue to pray not only uh, for the stop of the of the spread of the coronavirus and for a cure, which I'm praying diligently for those things. But ultimately, we, may we pray that God's purposes through this would be done and that whatever God would have for us individually and for us as a church and for us as a country and even globally, God would cause good to come of this. And I actually think that today's message applies uh, towards those towards those desires. But before we get into today's sermon, let me just take a minute and pray exactly along these lines. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your love towards us. I thank you that even though we can't gather together in person this morning, that we can gather each of us in our homes and that you are here with us. We continue to pray that you would move in the midst of this dark time. God, we pray that you would stop the spread of the coronavirus and that you would provide a cure. We pray for those that are now sick and suffering from it. God, may you provide healing as only you can do. But God, even as we go through it in the midst of it, may you give us spiritual eyes to see what you might be doing among us. And God, help us to be open to your will. We're asking difficult questions right now. And we pray that you would speak to us and that you would hear our prayers and that you would use this somehow for your glory and for our good. And so we pray a blessing upon uh, the church families of West Covina Christian Church upon the community of West Covina and the surrounding communities. Uh, we pray for our church and we pray for our country. We pray that you would use this time to awaken people and to turn their hearts to you. And so God, we lift up all of these things and we lift up our message this morning and pray that you would speak to us. Help us to wrestle with difficult questions, but to have clear guidance and leading from your scriptures. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, I want to wrestle with what is, I'll admit, 
a very, very hard question. The question is, if God is all-powerful and good, why does he allow bad things to happen? Why doesn't he put a stop to bad things? If he truly is all-powerful, which the scriptures teach us that he is, and he is really good at his core, his nature, which the Bible teaches us that he is, wouldn't it make sense that he would stop bad things from happening? Wouldn't it make sense that if God was really in control in this situation, and he was all-powerful and he was good, that he would stop the spread of the coronavirus? These are hard questions that we ask now and have been asked over and over again throughout history as people have suffered in various ways. In fact, you may have asked God these questions before. I know I have. My wife is a children's social worker and she works uh, with kids that have uh, been abused or have suffered in one way or another. And these are children and she comes home and she tells me these stories and it, just, and, I, and it just causes me to wonder, what in the world is going on? God is all powerful and he's good. Why wouldn't he stop these things from happening? We're going to wrestle with that question this morning. And my prayer is that as we look at God's word, that he, that he would cause us to not only be moved to criticize and to blame him, which many people are, but he actually might move us to praise him. Because what I want to do this morning is I want to present us with a grid for understanding this difficult question. I say a grid because I know that not everything can be explained. I say a grid because I'm not going to give a fully satisfying answer. In fact, many of these things are mysteries that we will not understand until someday we stand face to face with God and we get the eternal perspective on things. And we say, oh, now I see what God was up to. And we will give him praise and glory at that time. But right now, in, in, in our, with our finite minds and understanding and in the midst of the suffering and in the midst of the difficulty, there is no perfect explanation. But we can begin to have some views of these things that make sense. We can begin to be moved, especially as we approach Easter with some understanding of a suffering God who comes alongside suffering people and is not uh, is and that we do not hate or are repulsed by but a God who is attractive and wise and praiseworthy in all things so that's my prayer as we look at God's scripture today that God would help us to uh, wrestle with that question if God is all-powerful and good, why doesn't he stop bad things from happening? The passage that I've chosen for our sermon today, it comes from the Old Testament. It is a prayer from a woman who has suffered much herself, a prayer from Hannah. And uh, many passages could be uh, chosen to explain this, but I thought it would be wise to have someone that had clearly suffered much herself. 
In 1 Samuel uh, 1 and 2, we begin to get a picture of a woman who is in deep agony. In fact, it says in 1 Samuel 1, 8, her husband Elkanah would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? In other words, why, are you, uh, why do you continue to be in such agony and such distress? Because, uh, uh, and uh, why don't you turn to God? But the fact is that Hannah was turning to the Lord. And she still did not have easy answers to her problems. She lived in a day and age in which it was shameful not to have children. And yet, for year, and yet year after year, she was not able to conceive. And then in chapter 1, she, uh, she conceives and gives birth to a son whose name is Samuel. Samuel means heard by God. And so finally, Hannah feels that she has, her prayers have been heard and she has been answered and, and have been answered. She suffered for a long time. Would Hannah ever have written the prayer that we read here in chapter two if she did not conceive a son? I don't know. But Hannah has had, had, had enough time to reflect on her suffering and to offer these words to us. And I read from 1 Samuel 2 verses 1 through 10. Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord my horn is lifted up. Horn, we might say, my strength is lifted up. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord. We're wrestling with that this morning. Is God truly holy? Is he pure in his desires? There is no one like that. No one like you. There is no rock like our God. Do not keep uh, talking so proudly or let your mouth speak such arrogance. For the Lord is a God who knows. We're going to come back to that. For the Lord is a God who knows and by him deeds are weighed. The bows of the, or of the warriors are broken, but those who stumbled are armed with strength. Those who were full hired themselves out for food, but those who were hungry are hungry no more. She who is barren has borne seven children, but she who has had many sons pines away. Now these are heavy verses that we need to wrestle with this morning. Verse 6, the Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and he raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honor. For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's. On them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful servants, but the wicked will be silenced in the place of darkness. It is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be broken. The Most High will thunder from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. In this passage, we have a prayer from a woman who has suffered a lot. A prayer that I think can offer us some insight on how to 
understand suffering and how to see God's work in it. As I said, uh, verses 6 and 7 are difficult verses. In fact, six, verses 6 and 7 basically give us the foundation for the question that we are uh, wrestling with this morning. Verses 6 and 7, Hannah says, The Lord brings death and he makes alive. He brings down to the grave and he raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and exalts. Now those verses, I would almost rather have reworded them myself. Because in those verses, Hannah is very clear that God's hand is in all things, both the things good and the things uh, difficult, things of suffering. He says, she says that God not only makes alive, but he brings death. He not only raises up, but he brings down to the grave. He not only brings wealth, but he sends poverty. And so here is the first point that I want to make this morning is that God does have his hand in trials, difficulty, and suffering. I would almost rather not make that point because it basically gives credence to the question that we're asking this morning. And that's what makes this question so difficult. But we have to have a biblical worldview of these things. We have to understand that God cannot simply be eliminated from the equation and say, no, it is only God who heals. It is only God who saves. It is only God who brings good. No, God's hand is in all things. This includes the things that are difficult. That are difficult. God is sovereign over all things. That means he is in control even when people suffer. And so all of that to say is simply gives credence to the question that we are wrestling with this morning. If God is all powerful and he is good, why does he not stop bad things from happening? God's hand is in trials, difficulties, and suffering. Now, that does not mean that God does wrong or that God causes people to sin. I need to state that right up front because James 1 says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. And so we have to acknowledge a couple things from these verses. One is that people have free will. They can choose to sin and do evil, or they can choose to live righteously and honor the Lord with their lives. And that sin is what gives birth to death. The suffering we experience in this uh, world is a result of sin and the fall. Adam and Eve in the garden chose not to obey God's commandments, and so death entered into the world. And you and I have disobeyed God as well, and that is at the heart of suffering and evil in this world. Now, having said that, that does not mean that God is completely removed from the difficult things that happen. In fact, yes, God could stop it. 
For example, in Exodus 4, 21, God says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will not let my people go. You see, when we look at the story of Moses, Pharaoh, and the Israelites' exodus out of Egypt, they were slaves in Egypt. God sends uh, Moses to talk to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And uh, God could have caused Pharaoh's heart to be uh, softened immediately so that the people would leave uh, Egypt and be removed from all of the difficulties that they were experiencing. But no, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And the result, one plague after another plague after another plague, 10 plagues in all that not only caused the Egyptians to suffer, but the Israelites as well. Several times in Exodus, it says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And God says directly to Pharaoh through Moses, he says, but I raised you up for this very purpose so that I might show my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Paul, reflecting upon those verses, says, Therefore God has mercy on whom he, he wants to have mercy, and he hardens whom he wants to harden. These are difficult questions. How is God involved in all of these things? In fact, we might even say these are mysteries that we will never have a full understanding of but we at least acknowledge the problem. God is all-powerful and he is good, and yet there are certain things he chooses not to stop. In fact, there are certain things that his hand is in and it is difficult for us. That is to acknowledge that this is a legitimate question. But I do not think that the answer is to simply eliminate God from the suffering. In fact, the person who doesn't believe in God may have a harder time explaining evil in this world than the person who does believe in God. I believe that with all my heart. Many people will say, no, no, God cannot be all-powerful or he cannot be good and loving and therefore let's just eliminate him from the picture and that will make more sense of the world. No, it doesn't. Because if you eliminate God from the world... What you are left with is a cruel and unjust world that is simply governed by nature and our own opinions of what is right and wrong. Let's just be clear. Nature is a cruel and unjust place. I watch the nature channel sometimes and you see the lion take off after the herd of gazelles and, they don't, and the lion does not go after the fastest gazelle the lion goes after the slowest and the weakest one. Nature is the survival of the fittest. It's a dog-eat-dog -dog world. It's Darwinism and evolution. And accordingly, it is the strong who survive and the weak who should be eliminated. And so if, the, if there is no God and all we have is nature, then who cares about protecting the most vulnerable among us. And this is what we constantly hear about with the coronavirus. We need to protect the most vulnerable among us. Where does that desire even come from? I think that desire comes from God and the image of God that is planted 
in our hearts when we were created because that is who God is. God is the one who is merciful and who is just. You see, if we are simply left to nature, it is survival of the fittest. If we are simply left to our own opinions, who is to determine what is right or wrong? But behind this question is an understanding that there is something that is good and something that is evil, something that is fair and something that is unfair, something that is just and something that is unjust. And so God has to be in the picture. So how do we understand it? Well, the first point that I want to make is that God's hand is in trials, difficulties, and suffering. And then the second point is that God may know more than we know. Look at verse uh, 3 again. Do not keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak such arrogance. For it is the Lord, for the Lord is a God who knows and by him deeds are weighed. So in other words, God has a fuller, bigger picture than we do. He not only has the immediate in his viewpoint, but he has the long term as well. And sometimes it is only in hindsight that we understand what God is up to. That's been my experience at least. When I've gone through some of the most difficult things in my life, I will look back and I will say, I never want to go through that again. But I am happy that I did because God uh, did something wonderful in my heart or brought something wonderful out through those difficult things into my life. And this does not make God into some uh, maniacal puppet master, but rather it paints a picture of God who is a loving father who is seeking to work out all things for our good. He is molding and shaping us so that we can be better people and live more satisfying, joyful life, lives. Speaking of God as a loving father, you know, I'm a dad and Sometimes I have to discipline my kid like every father has to. And my parents won't, and my kids won't understand it in the moment. They'll say, Dad, that's not fair, or Dad, that's not right, or Dad, why can't I do this? And sometimes this, the only answer that I can give is because, you know what, I have a bigger picture of things than you do. And this is ultimately for your good. It's a shaping of who you, of who, uh, you should be so that you can live the most valuable, satisfying life that you can live. And God does that in our lives. He takes us through things that in the moment we say, God, why are you doing this? What is up with this? And yet God does it for our good. James 1 says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. You know, sometimes God takes us through trials so that we can be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And so I'll say this, that God is more concerned with your Christ-likeness than he is with your comfort. And that's hard to understand. That's for our good, because to be like Christ 
is to be filled with the kind of joy and strength and peace that Jesus had. Peter says it this way, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. You see, God, we suffer now for a little while, but ultimately it has a purpose. Part of that purpose is so that we, though, uh, so that we can be purified, as Peter says, so that we can be purified like gold, that we can be heated up in all of these things, uh, all of the impurities can be brought to the surface and and scraped out of our lives, but all, but also so that our lives may result in praise, glory, and honor through Jesus Christ who is revealed in us. And that leads us to our third point this morning, and that God has a purpose behind it all. Some of those purposes may be short-term. For our own personal growth, so that we can depend, be made to depend on him more, so we can be more grateful for what we have. You know, I've talked to parents that have said that uh, they're more close to their family during this time. Maybe this is a time where we learn to be more thankful for our church or to love our brothers and sisters in Christ more, to pray more. God has short-term purposes, but also I am convinced that in everything that happens, God also has his long-term purposes. Purposes that are ultimately rooted in God's purposes for the creation of the world. God's purposes that will ultimately be found in Jesus Christ. Hannah talks here in this passage about how the foundations of the earth are the Lord's and on them he has set the world. In other words, God has created the world in such a way that it has purpose and meaning and the Lord is moving things in the direction that he wants them to go. And then Hannah goes on to talk about how the Lord, the Most High, will thunder from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. And speaking of a judgment and a restoration of all things, Hannah begins to point us towards Jesus Christ. You see, the, past, the word that is, uh, in, that is translated here as anointed is a Hebrew word that uh, is then translated into uh, Greek as the Messiah, the Christ. And, and Hannah may have the anointed a more short-term view in mind of Israel's king. But we also know that behind those words, it points to the ultimate king, the king of kings, Jesus Christ himself. You see, there is, the, uh, in, G, in God's laying the foundation of the world, there is the big picture plan of God redeeming all things and showing us 
who he is. And I wonder if there would have been no suffering in this world, would we ever have come to fully understand God to be merciful and gracious and mighty to save. These are hard things for us to get our minds around. But if, if the world had no sin or suffering, God may not have been able to show his glory as powerfully as he does in a world that must turn to him and look to him for redemption. Hannah talks here about the judgment that is to come and the restoration of all things, though there are two sides to the same coin. Jesus came to this earth in one time to save when he, sent, when he came to die on the cross, and he is coming again at the end of time to restore everything and ultimately to show us who he really is. There is one day where he will appear on the clouds and all of those who trust in him will be caught up with him in the air and he will come back with heaven at his side to join heaven and earth together and to make things all new. That is the day of final judgment, but that is also the day of restoration. The day that the what Revelation refers to as the day of the new heavens and the new earth, when all things will be made known, will be made new. Tim Keller describes it in this way. The biblical view of things is resurrection. No future that is, not a future that is just consolation for the life we never had, but a restoration of the life you always wanted. This means that every horrible thing that has happened will not only be undone and repaired, but will in some way make the eventual glory and joy even greater. You see, that helps us to understand that there is a purpose for the suffering and the difficulty that we go through right now, that in some way it is producing a greater glory and a greater joy that we could ever experience outside of having suffered. Lewis, C.S. Lewis says it this way. They say of some temporal suffering, no future bliss can make up for it, not knowing that heaven, once obtained, will work backwards and turn at even that agony into a glory. And so there is a purpose in our suffering even now. One day it will be redeemed. One day when Jesus comes back, the difficulty of this day and age will be made right and we will experience joy somehow because of it. Now that is hard, very hard for, our, for us to get our minds around. But that is the perspective that we must have as Christians. In fact, that is the perspective that we bring in to Easter. Because it helps us to understand not only did Jesus rise from the dead, but one day there will be a resurrection of everyone who has ever believed in him. Those are ultimately the purposes for which we are headed. 
What is God's plan with the coronavirus? I wish I had an easy and clear answer to that. There may be things that we will see in the next months and years that we will say, wow, that was such a difficult time, but it's such a blessing. That is the time when, when our family came together. Or that is a time in which I devoted myself to, the, to prayer and the study of the scriptures and God began to truly transform me to become like Jesus. That is the time in uh, which I learned to love the church and not take that for granted. And, that also, and we also may say, that is the time where I really learned to appreciate the suffering of Jesus himself. You see, in our suffering, when we suffer even in small ways, it helps us begin to be pointed toward the suffering of Jesus. And that is what the season that we are about to enter into is all about. We look at Jesus upon the cross and we see how he suffered. And may our hearts be filled with gratitude because we see a suffering servant, a suffering God, who is now able to come alongside of us in our suffering. A suffering God who was raised from the dead and who causes us to look forward to the day when we will be raised from the dead and all things will be made new and there will be a purpose for the difficulty that we go through in, in our life. When we consider the cross, we may not have a perfect view of God's power, though I think God's power is seen in the cross. And we may even be caused to question God's goodness in putting his son to death, though I think in hindsight we can see God's goodness. And we may even be caused to question God's wisdom. What are you doing in this? Is, would there not have been any other way? God says that was the best way. But no one could ever question God's love. You see, in the cross, we understand that God loves us so much that he would send his son, Jesus, to die for us. We have a suffering God who loves us so much that he comes alongside to suffer with us and is able to now empathize with us in our weakness. Hebrews, uh, Hebrews 4 says that we have a God who was tempted in every way just as we are and yet did not sin. And in the same respect, Jesus suffered in every way just as we are and yet did not give up hope. He cried out to God, asked him if there was any other way possible. He even cried to him from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But, but in, in his agony, he found strength to endure the same strength that we may find as we approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. How is it that an all-powerful and good God does not stop bad things from happening? I wish I knew. 
but I think we have a grid for which we can begin to understand that God's hand is in all things and that uh, he knows more than we know and that he has purposes in it all. These are mysteries that we will not fully understand until we are with him in glory. But to those who are able to find the faith to believe, there are blessings. Blessings of peace and joy and comfort that only God can bring. These next couple weeks, are going, we're going to begin to focus on uh, Jesus' death and resurrection. Next week is uh, Palm Sunday, and we'll consider him going into Jerusalem, and then Good Friday, and then the following Sunday is Easter Sunday. And we're going to seek to make those things as special as possible. But I challenge you, in the next couple weeks, just continue to think about God's mercy and his love to us. Next week is also Communion Sunday. And so I'm going to encourage you next week as, we, uh, as you come to the worship service together to have some bread and some juice so that I can lead you in a uh, communion service while you are then in your living room. You know what? I love you so much and I can't wait to see you and continuing to pray for you. But right now, before we have one more song, let us pray to the Lord. Father God, we pray that you would bless these things to our hearts and minds, that we might glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen.